there's a whole lot going on in my head about being a dad. I, mean, I, ha- I had a couple of really terrible examples and I had a lot of fear with uh, being a dad, if I was going to be able to be a dad. And the number one thing about being an adult was my kids were not going to be raised the way that I was raised, you know? You're listening to Refocus Together, and this is episode 11, Matt Hoovenen and Breaking the Cycle. Welcome back to Refocused, a podcast all about ADHD. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel. If you've been listening to Refocused for any length of time, you know that ADHD is complex and it shows up in each person's life in a different way. That's why we created Refocus Together, our October series in which we share 31 stories in 31 days. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Matt Hoovenen. Matt's journey towards understanding his ADHD has been long and arduous. It wasn't until his late 30s that he was diagnosed. After years of struggling with anxiety, forgetfulness, and difficulty focusing on work and personal relationships. Like many later in life ADHDers, there were those signs throughout Matt's life. He even recalls conversations with his foster mother, a school psychologist, that he had as a teenager, that all these years later, he ties back to his undiagnosed ADHD. Matt's struggles were compounded by a traumatic childhood and a history of alcoholism and drug addiction, which impacted his ability to function in everyday life. Despite these challenges, he's always been committed to personal growth and self-improvement. Thanks to a recovery program, he's been sober for 26 years and has worked tirelessly to understand and manage his ADHD. With the support of his doctor and his wife, who works as a counselor, Matt began taking medication for his ADHD. This has brought him comfort and relief and helped him feel more capable of achieving his potential at work and home. Through it all, Matt has remained passionate about helping others. He believes that sharing his story can help others struggling with similar challenges. He has become an advocate for ADHD awareness and hopes to inspire others to seek help to overcome obstacles. With his strength and determination, Matt has shown that anything is possible, no matter how difficult the journey may be. Let's talk more with Matt about his personal journey, life as a sober ADHDer, and how the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD have changed his life. Matt, we start every single Refocus Together interview with the same questions, and that is, when were you diagnosed with ADHD, and what was that diagnosis like, and then what sparked the conversation initially for you? My mom is a school psychologist, retired, and a private practice psychologist, so she was, she's was she been telling me since high school that I should be on some type of medication because I've you know, always a little manic and always a little stressed out, a little behind the eight ball. And uh, hyper-focus is certainly part of my diagnosis. I was diagnosed in my officially in my late 30s, and it really was because I was fired from another job. Most of the jobs that I've lost are because 
I uh, couldn't meet the deadlines, was behind the eight ball, couldn't stay focused, and then ultimately lose interest because I knew that I, I wouldn't be able to keep up. I wouldn't be able to stay in comparison to those my coworkers. I, I just I never felt like I measured up because I couldn't stay on task. So lots of lots of jobs, that, and that's that that's the the big important thing. The little stuff was always nagging in the back of my head, locking my keys out of my car or locking myself out of my car, locking my keys in my car, go to the grocery store, go through the entire grocery store, get to the checkout line and not have my wallet. I, I can't tell you how many times that, that that happened to me. Run home, get my wallet, go back and get the cart that's sitting there beside the checkout line. I could do nothing else in my life to overcome those three things. They, they were just a constant in my adult life. So your mother brought this to your attention, and then many years later, you went in for a formal diagnosis. What was that initial conversation like? Pretty easy. We, we knew our primary care, and so I just had a conversation. My wife works as a counselor, so she knew her, and uh, there was a conversation I had with her, a conversation with me, and I, I, I was I explained it just like I explained to you, and she said, well, let's try this medication, and the first one we tried was the the one that I'm I'm sticking with now, and that's Vyvanse. That seems to work really quite well for me. We had to mess with the uh, the quantity, right? The the prescription, but now it's now I don't even I can't tell that I I can't physically tell that I took it. I can physically tell when I don't, but that's that's about how that went. <laughs> I am also on Vyvanse. I can tell when I take it, and the one unfortunate business trip where I forgot it sitting on the counter. Oh man, it was very, very eye-opening and very alarming. But it also kind of was this lovely little gift of a reminder of what I have now, knowing about my ADHD and knowing how my brain actually functions and what it needs. And that in itself is a gift. It was a tough one to swallow at the time, but it is a gift. Yep, completely agree. I travel a bunch for work. So the biggest hurdle now is with insurance companies and trying to make sure that I have enough and I'm balancing enough between I'm gone for a week, but I have two more. So I skip a weekend, you know, skip a weekend so that I have enough so I have, I'm covered for work because that takes priority, right? And then the distraction happens at home. I'm not, I'm not present as present as I had been before because my kids need it. My wife deserves it, needs it. And, and uh, then I feel crappy. So that, that's, that's a constant hurdle. It's a powerful cycle we're all kind of stuck in, right? Playing by mm. these very, very stringent rules set for a group of people who really struggle with stringent rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to ask you just a little bit about the job firings. Even if you know why they're happening, I can't imagine that they're easy to digest. You see yourself falling behind. You're not keeping up with your peers. You want to make it work, but everything is working against you. What has changed with that since your diagnosis? Well, I, I have a lot less fear with getting up in the morning and going to work. Not nearly as much anxiety happens on, on a daily basis. You know, you remove those two hurdles and it also aids in 
what the medication can do for me, what I'm capable of doing from day to day, constantly feeling, you know, in the past, it was constantly feeling like I was, I was never going to get ahead. I was destined to, to always have this hurdle and the stuff that comes along with that, knowing that I'm not going to make it further ahead in, in this job or any job and knowing that the income is not going to come along with it, that I'm not going to be able to provide for my family as much as, as, uh, as I, I know that I'm capable of, but I just can't get there. You know, I, I, I haven't had to have the, uh, the conversation with, with any of my supervisor about the potential that I have, you know, it's because I'm using it. I'm taking advantage of my potential. It's not just sitting there to them being wasted. You know, they, they see it as being wasted. You touched on a few of the struggles that you've had living with ADHD. Is there anything else that comes to mind from your journey that stands out as something that has really been detrimental in your life and you can link it back to this unknown? Well, I think that my upbringing certainly plays a role. Uh, I have a, a lot of trauma from when I was young and there was recently an article that was that was focused on that about how ADD is a symptom of trauma as uh, an early adult or young, and I think that that's kind of a uh, something that has always been there for me too. So the uh, I left home when I was fourteen, and uh, I had siblings at home. I had an older sibling who left before I did. So. The whole thing is that my between my two parents and their remarriages, they had nine kids, and all nine kids of us, all of nine of us, went into foster care. All of us did, and uh, we were all separated. And I left when I was fourteen, and my youngest sister, man, was one, two, so I, I hardly even got to spend any time with her growing up at all. So emotionally stunted, you know, coming coming out of that emotionally stunted and trying to be a teenager, trying to find my way in new schools, new house, new everything. And everything else kind of gets put on the back burner. You know, my, the, the, the struggles that I had at school, you could easily put that on a shelf of saying that that's just a response to being moved around. And no matter how positive my experience was in foster care, it's still that I'm not with my siblings. I'm not with my birth family. And there is something in the back of a person's head that that always will be there, even as an adult. You know, I should have done this, could have done that as as a kid being there. And so again, you know that that is a distraction. It constantly can be a distraction that can be chalked up as this is why I can't focus. This is why I'm struggling with this. This is my fear of success. This is my my trouble with dealing with supervisors or any any. You know, um, so it. Any way you slice it, it could be it could be connected. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I can see that there's a lot that you're still dealing with, and rightfully so. I can only imagine the guilt that you felt as an older sibling leaving some of your siblings behind, and to hear you, you know, in a sense that you still ruminate on some of those things that you, as a kid, you couldn't handle. You weren't supposed to handle, but we don't know how to tell ourselves that, right? We don't know how to say in that moment that this is not the job for a child. And I just, 
thank you for sharing this. It's a lot of people are going to be able to connect to your story. And that's what I find so incredible about this project is we get to hear from so many different people who have had every struggle in the world, but there's hope in that. And so I'm, I'm curious what you're doing currently to manage some of the ADHD struggles that do come up for you. In addition to all of that, I, I come into adulthood as an alcoholic and spent a bunch of time uh, as, as a drug addict and, you know, being, being in a, in a program that, that helps me stay sober, which has been, you know, I've been sober for 26 years. And the way that I go about with my recovery in that regard is to never really be still with it, never really be settled with growing. And uh, there's always, there's always more to learn about myself. There's always more ways to learn how to be helpful to others. So I, I do that. My family has really been structured around being able to help other people and, and be available to help others that are struggling like I am. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, that my family doesn't push too hard back on that. So uh, usually by putting myself out there and, and being available to other people, helping other people, that calms a lot of the mental anguish that I, that I do end up with. You know, on a personal level, I have to have some kind of personal distraction. I have to have a, a hobby or um, something. And <laughs> my wife, you know, will attest to that I have too many. And it's it's usually something that I know very little about. You know, I'll go buy a motorcycle or I'll, I'll go buy an old pickup and try to fix it up. And I don't, don't know a whole lot about that stuff, but I just try to do it. And we have three boys and our oldest just started college. So trying to be as present as possible for those three boys. I mean, there's, there's, there's a whole lot going on in my head about being a dad. I had a couple of really terrible examples and I had a lot of fear with uh, being a dad, if I was going to be able to be a dad. And the number one thing about being an adult was my kids were not going to be raised the way that I was raised, you know? I've had this really large target to focus on. And uh, so spend as much time as I can with them and realizing that that uh, they're not just paying attention to what I'm doing when I'm home, when I'm in front of them. And and knowing how how much they pay attention to how I treat their mom and how I treat their brothers and how I have relationships with their sisters. So we we have two two girls. I have a, a daughter from a previous relationship who's married, has a baby, and that's crazy in itself. And then we have a, a, a girl that moved in with us when she was real young. So she she grew up with us, you know, as, as a teenager and beyond. And our boys knew her as their sister. And that's that's how they see her today. So um Maybe it's just enough, right? That I have all this family stuff going on that it, it, it maintains my level of chaos just high enough to keep me engaged with it all. Cause if it's all smooth and it's all fine, I need to, I need to be pedaling somewhere. I need to be doing something somewhere. Um, I, I don't sit still. I can physically sit still, but mentally I don't sit still. It's always, always thinking about doing something. <laughs> 
it seems like you have found incredible strength in being vulnerable. And I think that's a lovely gift and a lovely message to reemphasize, especially, you know, we've come leaps and bounds in talking about mental health, but we still have so far to go. And I firmly believe that things left in darkness just grow and fester and become worse. And to hear you really hold on to this ability to help people. And I know you say that it's a big release for you and it, you know, it, it just kind of lets it all out. But at the same time, the ripple effects of you sharing your story, I imagine they're spreading pretty far. Well, I guess I, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> well, it's hard for someone in the moment to, to kind of want to digest that. No one wants to be like, yes, I'm making a difference. But I imagine that people come up to you fairly often and, and talk about that. that. That that certainly has happened. Yeah, that certainly has happened. In that respect, you know, I'm, I'm terrible at that about myself, you know, taking, taking that in. But I, if I look for examples in my life on, on how, how my kids treat people, when people come to my house, my children greet them as guests. And it's not something that I have uh, been hardcore about requiring them to do it. You know, they're, they're teenagers, right? So you have a little prodding, a little re reminder, but they have no problem going up and, and welcoming somebody into our house, taking their coat, making sure that they're comfortable. You can sit in here, come over here. Here's the bathroom. Do you want something to drink? You know, my, my kids just do that. And they can hold conversations with people. And what a gift to be able to see my kids be able to, to treat people like that. And to hear other people say that back to me. You know, your kids really help me feel welcome or your kids are really nice and they, they're respectful. And, and uh, it's just a, it's an example of a couple of things, right? It's an example of, of them being safe at home and not carrying the fear that so many in my family have before them, you know, it's been generations since, you know, in, in my, my perception of it, it's been generations since it's been that healthy. And I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own. You know, heck, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it to this level without medication, but certainly without the recovery that I've been introduced to in my life, it, it, I wouldn't have been present. I wouldn't have been present to be able to, to have this, you know, I've had this goal forever, but fear held me back from it. So been able to, to, you know, for the most part, overcome that, work through it anyways. It's an incredible accomplishment. Sobriety of any kind is incredibly difficult. And the more we understand ADHD and mental health in general, I think more and more people are opening their eyes to the connection to addiction. And I'm wondering if you have spent any time thinking about undiagnosed ADHD that you had your entire life, but weren't diagnosed with until you were in your 30s. But the addiction came at a much younger age. And yes, there was all of that stuff happening in your family. And that is plenty to bring on an addiction of any kind. But I'm wondering if you have found any connections to the undiagnosed ADHD and kind of reaching for that dopamine rush. Yeah, there's, there's a couple things in there, right? Like the um, hesitation in dealing with anything with it, the stigma that's carried along with both of these things with ADD in itself and with addiction there, there carries heavy, almost like repercussions of 
acknowledgement that I have this and I, I've seeked help, continue to seek help and being vulnerable going through this process and talking about this, it, it certainly feels vulnerable. The other side of that, hmm. I think there's, there's a, there's a lot of freedom that comes through the acceptance personally that I can't do this by myself. I can't fix my ADD by myself, you know, and, and, I, and it's not just a matter of having a calendar or seven calendars, but I've, you know, something like that have tried in the past. Having a calendar in my pocket, you know, certainly is uh, great. I still struggle with only having one. So I do have multiple calendars still. And so I'm embracing, embracing all of the, the, the tools that are around and finding the ones that, that work specifically for me so that I can, so that I can function. I don't even know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, it, you know, it's, it, I just find so much connection in my own life and, and from people that I know of undiagnosed ADHD and addiction issues. And I think there is something to be said about when you don't know what you're missing and you find something that fills a void, it can be a really easy trap to fall into. And we don't talk about it enough. And I also, you know, was raised in a very small town where there wasn't a lot to do and, and drinking was introduced at a really young age. And I just wonder what my future would have looked like had that not been something I was working against at such a young age. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, I was in a lot, a couple of really small towns and the options were limited, but even as I moved to bigger towns, that's what I was drawn to. I was, I was drawn to the, the other kids that were doing that stuff. So I think if, uh, if I wouldn't have left home when I was 14, things would have been very, very dark for me. The goal that I had in the back of my head was very dark and it was based on, uh, you know, keeping my siblings safe. So that changed my life, changed the course of my life when I was 14, when I left home. That, that changed the course of my life and my siblings' lives because my older sister had left, I had left, and then within a short while, the other four kids all came out of my mom's house. I was less involved with my dad's other three kids, my other, my other three siblings, because I didn't live with them, right? So, and I was, and I was 14, so you kind of live with what, what's right in front of you at 14. So that, that was transformational for me. And then to find a way to live without having to have a substance in my system was, was the other life changing thing that happened to me. And, you know, I, I, I didn't do it all happy because, you know, Hey, my life fell apart. Guess what I get to do now? I was chased into recovery by the judicial system. <laughs> yeah. You know, and embracing that past, embracing where I am today, how could that not impact who I am today? You know, how could that not impact how I present myself to people, how I tell my story to people, how I try to encourage other people to find what works best for them to, to be free. There's a way to live free of addiction 
there's a lay, a way to live free of and not free. I don't know if I can, I can, if I can really live free of ADD, but I can live free of the negative outcomes from ADD with the tools that are available today. I just don't, I just want to live like that. I don't want to live like that kind of chaos anymore because it really was, it was chaos. <laughs> You've touched on a lot of the things that have happened in your life and then so beautifully kind of flipped into these wonderful examples of what you are proud of, your family, the work you guys do in the community. I'm wondering when you look at your life, where do you see yourself thriving? Well, I'm a salesman and I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy being a salesman. I get to build rapport and I, and I, you know, with a salesperson, you try to do that as quickly as possible. And there's always something new to learn about what I'm selling. So there's always that level of engagement that is happening and being a part of a team that is selling stuff. There's engagement that happens there. That's always fun to do. And I really like being a dad. I really, I really do. And I knew that, I think I always knew that I was going to really like it. I had a whole lot of fear that uh, I was going to come out. I was going to be a dad like my dad or my stepdad, because my experience with those two men was, was not good. And, and those were my initial examples of, of how to interact with their children. It's just, it's just not going to happen. And my kids, it's just different for them. <laughs> it, it's much, much different for them. So I, I think that's where I thrive the most is when, when I don't have a fear of being fired and I'm at home hanging out with my boys. So I think that's, that's where I'm thriving. <laughs> I love it. And how wonderful for you to get to confidently say that you broke the cycle, that mm -hmm. you didn't let it continue. And there are a lot of people who are going to listen to this who are going to be feeling those same feelings of fear about being a parent, about passing along what they lived through as a child. But how wonderful to get to give them hope that it is possible, because I think sometimes we think that that's a bus we cannot get off of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I specifically, I used to really hold on to this fear and it's still, I know it still lingers in the back of my head, but I had this fear that I didn't have control over who I was going to become. And maybe that's just because my life was so chaotic, but how I visualized it was that like a light switch that I couldn't reach. I didn't have control over. Somebody would walk into the room and flip that light switch and I would become my worst nightmare. I would become one of those men that was, that was a, a terrible person. I, I know that that's not the truth today. I know that that's not even possible to have happen today. That's not who I am. And that is not from me willing myself into believing that that that's from, that's from a lot of work that's come to, that's been in front of me. And, and I've had several people guide me through that. And then to have people in my corner, you know, my wife, my parents, my kids, without, with all that, you know, just, it would be so, it would be so different. You mentioned your parents in your corner. What has that relationship been like now that you are an adult and you have worked through what your childhood was like? When I say parents, I mean my foster parents. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's not, 
it's not like a, a streamlined story either. Cause so my, my, both my dad and my stepdad, my biological dad, and my stepdad are passed on and things were not resolved between myself and them before they went. And so there's in some way, there's some guilt or some remorse of not taking that extra step into, uh, and into doing that. My biological mom lives um, about 40 miles away. I see her on a pretty regular basis. I talk to her on a very regular basis. And, you know, in the, when it all boils down, and I haven't, I've, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, and I've, I've done some public speaking, but I don't know if I've ever really talked about this, is that I, I have a resentment towards my mom and it was about her inability to keep us safe as kids. And when I really step back and look at it, I know that it's not her fault. I, I know that it's not. And and my mom had a bad accident when she was a young kid, four or five years old, where she inhaled a peanut and she had one functioning lung for over an hour until they got her to the doctor because they lived on a farm. So overnight she became a different person. You know, her, her personality changed from what I know, right? I mean, that was before my time, but she then attracted men that were attracted to that. And the men that she landed with were not healthy. So it's, it's ill-placed anger, but a resentment, a resentment is a resentment, right? And that, that has more to deal with me, more to do with me than it does to do with her. So finding way to, to deal with that so that I don't treat her like I have a resentment. I don't, I don't treat her like I'm angry at her. At least I try my hardest to not. And I try to enable to have my kids have a relationship with her, but they, they don't really know her. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just that much removed. So then you look at the relationship that I have with my parents and they're very encouraging to keep relationship with my biological family. You know, I'm so dang grateful that I have them. If I, if I wouldn't have had them, I wouldn't have the, the full family circle today. My kids wouldn't have my parents to have a relationship with. They wouldn't have that grandpa and grandma to be there. So it's been, they, they went way beyond just being foster parents to me they have and continue to play a, a vital role in my life so that I can, I can still be, be the best that I can because I have them. What a wonderful gift for both of you. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> What's giving you hope right now? What's something that is pushing you forward and, and keeps you on the path that you're on? Well, it's pretty easy to go back to kids. My son, Jack, he moved on to campus two weeks ago, and the conversations have quickly changed about instead of, you know, I don't want to clean the basement to, can I, can I come home? Can I stop home? Can I, can I sleep here tonight? <laughs> so he's a little lonesome and he needs to spend time with his mom, you know, and he, he needs, he needs time with both of us. And, and uh, whether he wants to admit it, I know that he misses his brothers. So, I mean, that, that's just more proof, right? More proof that, that home is positive and home is his, his constant. And that was the goal, you know, that was, that was the goal to have home be that place. So it, it, 
I don't know if it takes any pressure off for the other two kids, but you know, I, I see Sarah who uh, came to live with us when she was young to have her consider our place, her home to have her, you know, not knock, just walk in and start digging in the fridge. I mean, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal with those kids is that they, they feel 100% comfortable and they do not have fear of me. They do not have fear of their mother. I guess there's probably a healthy amount of fear, but <laughs> there's, I don't know, without going into examples, you know, like, cause when I was a kid, I was, I was, I was running away from my mom with the fly swatter. I was running away from my, my stepdad who was swinging a belt buckle at me. And it was just the amount of, uh, the amount of contrast from the way they're living and the way that I grew up is really obvious. So that, that's my driver. That's, that's the, that's the force. <laughs> I could truly keep talking to you all day. This has just been such a wonderful conversation. But I want to wrap up by asking, what is something you wish people knew or understood better about ADHD? Unmedicated ADD is full of creativity, but it comes along with a huge amount of chaos and being unorganized. And for me, it was really uncomfortable. I know that being on medication has changed my level of creativity. It's not gone, but it's, it's different. But I've been on medication for a long time now, and the amount of creativity and comfort that I have now is just a relief, and it doesn't have to occupy all my time anymore. And I've certainly known people that are undiagnosed or on medication or, you know, all the, the different the, the gambit that they either like their medication or they hate it. But there's, if it's a problem, right? If ADD is a problem in your life, it's overcomable. And no matter what the, the cause of, of your ADD, that is also able to be dealt with and not do it alone. Uh, it, it just, you don't, don't have to keep it a secret. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with it all by yourself. There's, there's, um, doctors and there's other people out there that, that deal with all the different things that we have going on in our, on in our lives that, that want to help, that are here to help and that can. Matt, thank you so much. I know you share your story very often to help people in the community, but I just feel so grateful to have this time with you and to get to share this with the Refocus community. And thank you for the work that you're doing, not just the outreach, but the work that you're doing internally. Because, you know, I mentioned that ripple effect. Your children are going to be that ripple effect and the way that they treat other people. And that ripple is going to keep spreading. And so many of us, have been in cycles that we have felt like we can't break. And to get to share this story, such a lovely, wonderful, heartbreaking, tough, scary story, but that ends with the cycle breaking is something that is so important. And I'm just, when I say I'm grateful for this moment, I am so grateful to be here in this moment with you. So thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you. I'm happy to do it. For someone who talks a lot, 
It is very hard for me to put into words how much this conversation meant to me. I feel so lucky that I got to spend that time talking with Matt, and I'm honored he allowed us to share his story with all of you. What Matt has been able to overcome is astounding, and I'm so proud of him. There's been this push recently on social media talking about breaking the cycle, ending the repetitive pattern of harmful behavior that just keeps getting passed along from generation to generation, breaking the cycle of abuse, of addiction, of silence, all things Matt is choosing to bring to an end for his family and himself. It hasn't been easy for him, but he chooses every day to put in the work. And while your cycle might not look like Matt's, his resilience is something we can all pull inspiration from. ADHD can give us some beautiful gifts, and we'll always hear people refer to it as their superpower. But for many people with ADHD, even those that acknowledge the upside to having it, there can be a lot of incredibly destructive, life-changing circumstances to work against. And I just really appreciate the matter-of-fact candor Matt adopts when sharing his story. One thing we all need to be aware of is that ADHD brings with it a higher risk in developing a substance use disorder. And children and teens who have ADHD are more likely to try alcohol, tobacco, and other substances compared to their peers who don't have ADHD. Around 15% of adolescents and young adults with ADHD have a concurrent substance use disorder. And children with ADHD are also more at risk to start abusing alcohol during their teen years. Something I shared a bit about in today's episode. Here's a statistic that really jumped out at me. Almost one in every four patients seeking treatment for substance use disorder have untreated or undiagnosed ADHD and that could be due to issues with regulating neurotransmitters, like dopamine and norepinephrine. When an adhd has a comorbidity, the more challenging disorder is treated first. And for those with substance use disorders, getting sober before starting treatment is recommended. The best way to prevent addiction is by receiving treatment earlier, so clinicians and parents should work together to determine the best treatment plan, whatever combo of therapy, medication, and behavioral interventions. Prescribers will often try to reduce the risk of medication misuse by prescribing long-acting meds instead of shorter-acting ones and encouraging continual behavioral health checkups during treatment. If you have any concerns about substance use in your own life or in the life of someone you love, it's important that you address this with your healthcare professional. And if you aren't comfortable with that, there are resources available to help you make those first steps a little easier. We've shared some of them in the show notes for you. Did anyone else just love hearing Matt talk about wanting his children to feel safe at home? It's clear he has so much love and respect for his family. And for someone who feared being a father, I think it's safe to say he's grown into the role quite well. I also really appreciated the mindset he's adopted when it comes to the relationship he has with his biological mother, and I feel truly honored that he opened up about that with us. Forgiveness, on any level, can be a tough lesson for humans to learn, and what I think I appreciate about Matt's viewpoint on it is, it's clear he's taking himself 
his feelings and his growth as a human into account when deciding how to manage this relationship. You are a very special human, Matt Huvenin, and I feel so lucky to have been given the opportunity to hear your story. Thank you for being a part of Refocus Together. The show notes are chock full of resources I felt it was important to share following this conversation, including links to more on the connection between ADHD and addiction, some resources for you to connect with if you're worried about substance use disorders in your life or in the life of someone you care about, and even some insight into the connection between ADHD, childhood trauma, and foster children. We'll be back here tomorrow with a brand new episode of Refocus Together 2023. And in the meantime, I encourage you to take a page from Matt's book and give out as much grace to yourself, to your loved ones, to the checkout person at the grocery store. Just give out as much of it as you can. The Matt we all got to meet today is a shining example of what happens when you do. Support for Refocus comes from our partner, ADHD Online, a telemedicine mental health care company that provides affordable and accessible ADHD assessments and treatment plans. To learn how they can help you on your journey, head to ADHDonline.com. And remember to use the promo code REFOCUS20 to receive $20 off your ADHD Online assessment right now. The biggest thanks go out to our team at ADHD Online, Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Melanie Mile, Claudia Gotti, and Trisha Merchandunny for their constant support in helping make Refocus Together happen. These 31 episodes were produced thanks to our managing editor, Sarah Platinitis, our production coordinator, Phil Rodeman, social media specialist and editor, Al Chaplin, and me, the host and executive producer of Refocused, Lindsay Gensel. To connect with the show on social media, you can find us online at RefocusPod. And you can email the show directly, hello at RefocusPod.com. That's hello at RefocusPod.com.